Blog Talk Radio. Let me tell you about something new. A new show called G's Power. G's Power. Real talk for real saints. Are you ready? And it's for real. Welcome to G's Power Hour live every weekday at 11.30 a.m. on Never Had So Good Entertainment Network. Your host, G, will bring you informative and entertaining guests and a variety of topics in a way that you can absorb and enjoy. Listen in weekdays and call in at 516-387-1944. We love interaction. All shows can be downloaded if you miss one or found on iTunes the next day. G's Power Hour is powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters, kings and queens, angels and saints, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. And Super Bowl is coming up. Yay! For some, for, but the road to the Super Bowl and to just to kind of get into NFL sports and other sports paved with a lot of injuries for some and other challenges. So I, uh, our mutual friend, Kevin Anderson, introduced me to another person that is going to give us a 411 on dealing with um, African-American athletes in sports, particularly NFL. Dr. Kenneth Sean Chaplin joins us today from John Carroll University. Good morning, Dr. Sean. Good morning. How are you doing, G? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing good this morning. Thank you so much for asking. So give everybody a little bit of insight into who you are and what you do and um, what we're talking about this morning. Okay. Uh, so I'm uh, Kenneth Sean Chapman, as you know. I'm uh, born in the Caribbean in the island of Jamaica, uh, Kingston, Jamaica, but my parents migrated to South Florida where I went to elementary, middle, and high school. I also went to undergrad at FAU as well as graduate school before I went off to the University of Georgia to do my Ph.D. and then transferred and finished at Texas A&M University in a different department in sociology. So my concentration in sociology is in culture, and as an aspect of culture, I look at the institution of sport and also focus on racial and ethnic relations. So that's sort of where my studies have been for the last uh, last 10, 12 years. So I'm so glad to be here with you all this morning. And so I was thinking a little bit about uh, race, uh, in particular with um, the sport of football, right? Also, it overlaps with basketball, track and field, baseball, but uh, – since it's football season, uh, there's a lot going on, especially with uh, players and injuries. So um, I'm ready to talk, ready to discuss what's on my mind, what I've been reading, what I've been thinking about. Uh, so hopefully we can have a productive conversation today. I look forward to it. And by the way, you all that are listening, if you have questions or comments, the number is 516-387-1944. So uh, I, it's kind of weird to begin, but I guess let's begin at the end, and I guess the end goal for 
uh, a lot of players in general, and that's the Super Bowl, which is coming up this Sunday. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, like I said, it's been kind of a challenging year for some of our athletes. You know, I mean, first of all, let's let's not take away from the fact that this weekend represents history with uh, the uh, meeting of two phenomenal black uh, quarterbacks this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we want to recognize that. But, you know, not everybody gets to that sweet spot. And for others, you know, that thought they might have had a chance, for example, Tua uh, is one. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Hamlin is another one. You know, they, they've had these challenges with um, with uh, injuries. And my biggest problem out of the two of those, and I know there have been others, was Tua and his, I guess, challenges in terms of not having someone look out for him. That's my, and that is my, um, mm-hmm. and I'm not talking about his family. You know, of course, they're looking out for him. But I'm talking about you put your son in a position where he's away from his family and friends and comfort zone, and you put him in a situation that's a regular grind physically, mentally, you know, a a challenge to your soul and everything like that, and you injure yourself, and you're young, so you don't realize the ramifications that this injury could have through the course of your life, but there are adults in the room that mm-hmm. should be looking out for you. But it, this is not new necessarily in terms of uh, people not looking out for African-American athletes, correct? Mm-hmm. Well, well, I think at this level, since uh, the NFL is disproportionately African-American athletes, uh, that's also a problem because uh, – we are not represented in other fields of society. We are overrepresented in that sport and as well as in, in basketball. Uh, and, of course, we know that uh, both sports are high entertainment. Uh, basketball, uh, of course, with the razzle and dazzle, you have uh, all kinds of injuries with coming down, knee, ankle. But football lends itself to a different kind of brutality. Right? And so, so the more players that you have that are now – working out very hard in the off-season, have been working out since college, high school, even middle school. They're playing um, a very, very aggressive game, and there's been all kinds of policies that have protected certain positions, particularly uh, the position of quarterback. Uh, but, uh, you know, not just what happened with uh, TT down there in South Florida, but there's quite a few quarterbacks that are actually injured today that are uh, are in the limelight. So uh, there's Russell Wilson, there's Ryan Tannehill, which was also a uh, former um, Dolphins quarterback. Um, there was uh, Colt McCoy out of uh, Texas and College, University of Texas. So the position itself is dangerous, <laughs> as, as are all the positions when bodies are moving very quickly. But the position of quarterback uh, is a very dangerous position, and also, it's the position of probably greatest accountability with regards to the team's offense and the team's ability to be productive. So while there's great accountability, there's also very high risk. And we have seen in my lifetime a shift from 
traditionally white quarterbacks to the emergence of supposedly this superstar-ish third back, which now has a component that allows them to possibly run. So you're dealing with extended position now because, again, of racial interest with regards to how they perceive a person athletically in that position, not just as in the pocket throwing, but now having mm-hmm. the options to run. So that lends itself also to great, greater danger, right? You, you leave the pocket, you're unprotected, uh, you become exposed uh, to, again, flying bodies. So all of that, all of that very interesting, uh, particularly with the development of the position in terms of um, the increase in black quarterbacks. So, yes, um, I, I was uh, also talking with a, a few uh, a few friends and a few colleagues about what's going on with Tua down in South Florida. Mm-hmm. And some reports have said that he is not necessarily uh, concussion prone. Concussion prone. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was a bit shocked at the choice of words, concussion prone, meaning that. And I keep hearing that too, is that yeah. it, it's almost like you want to already go ahead and discount him for the next season. Uh, so you keep throwing out that he's concussion prone. Um, yes. And, and so how do you – and how what is concussion prone? You know, uh, so, are, do we have a lot of people walking around as concussion prone? You know, is it just him? How do we do that? Well, there's, there's all kinds of speculation with regards to um, researchers saying that many of these athletes are actually concussion prone but are not willing to step forward because now you risk – Uh, all of those financial rewards, including bonuses, as well as status and and fame in your uh, your hometown, the town that you play for. So um, that's not new. We know that many athletes are hurt, but they won't speak up because they know they have a limited time and a limited opportunity to play at that high level. So when you're thinking about uh, the average NFL player, who plays between four to seven years, according to much older research. Again, when you have these players that are playing for 14, 16, 18 years, statistically those players are considered outliers. They are not the norm by any stretch of the imagination. They are beyond the norm. And based upon the average amount of players that trickle in and trickle out, uh, athletes know they have about five years of really good potential and really good opportunity to play, so they will risk injury for those five years because they know year eight, year nine, they're being passed over simply because if they haven't proven themselves by five or six years, they haven't received playing time, you constantly have this crop of athletes coming out of college that can get the job mm-hmm. done as, as recruiters proclaim. Right? So, so year nine – if you're still in the league and you're not playing, you're not receiving enough uh, play time, you're just going to trickle off of the team. You may end up on a practice team. Again, that kind of uh, uh, pay is very meager in comparison to the to the pay of an NFL, an actual NFL contract. So you can be on a practice team. You're able to do, do some things with regards to other opportunities beyond the football season. But, uh, again, you become a practice player at best when you're not in the NFL. So uh, all of that, all of that leading to, again, why many athletes would risk injury 
because they see such a short window. So to, to the point of concussion proof. Before you go any further, let me ask you this. Do players then, like Tom Brady, set mm-hmm. unrealistic expectations for longevity in the sport? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. As well as LeBron James, mm-hmm. who, who now has become yes. the all-time leading scorer, and he says he wants to play for another five or six years. Yeah, because he wants right. to and, play with his son, so... He's stretching it out. Stretching it out. He's now met a uh, a, a superb mark, being the all-time leading scorer. Not to mention he's probably one of the top ten players right now that is scoring consistently every game at his age. So Mm. he is, as he is tattooed on his back, he is the chosen one in terms of his ability and his longevity in the sport. That is completely an outlier, completely an unrealistic expectation that becomes an internalized norm for many young men thinking that, yeah, you know, I could play for 20 years. I said, no, 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 you cannot. You cannot. That's, that's, that's unrealistic because players come in and players are forced out. You can't have a group of players that all want to play for 20 years, right? Right. Unless you have an amazing expansion of teams, and so now you'll have a team, uh, let's say, in in West Palm Beach. I don't know if they have the financial means to pull up, put up a stadium. You'll have now a team in Fort Lauderdale, and we're talking again about uh, what I think is unrealistic um, advancement with regards to the development of multiple, much more than 32 teams in the league. So. Uh, in Florida alone, uh, you have uh, you have the Jaguars in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. You have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You have the Miami Dolphins. That's three big entities in that state. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine. California is another one too. That's, At one yeah. point, didn't they have like four teams in California? Yeah. Yeah. New yeah. York, three, that's two right. or three that's in right. New York. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't imagine seven or eight teams in the state. I just, I, I, you know, I, I can't no. imagine that. That might be the only way that you're able to hang on to players longer if you give them uh, new kind of opportunities. And I, I just don't see, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Right. But we've got 50 states. I mean, we've got a lot of states that don't have one. You know, so, yeah. you know, but it's, uh, my understanding, too, is I think when I was, uh, speaking with uh, Princess, uh, our uh, producer and CEO of the network, uh, last week we were talking about uh, what the owners have a say in in terms of, you know, a lot of the, the things that go on with these teams. And so I guess they would have to be open to letting in some other teams and, and creating these other opportunities, which I'm sure would feel fast, uh-huh. right? It, it may fail. So if you if you have a proliferation of athletes, you still want to hold a high level of play and a high quality kind of player, and you don't mm-hmm. want that to diminish because that now diminishes uh, potential fans' expectations. Right? You want phenomenal players. Right? You don't right. want average people. You want people who can play. You want people that are you know perceived as our sort of our cultural icons today that are superheroes. So our basketball players, 
and our football players are, are our realistic superheroes of society because of their athletic talents, right? When we look at superheroes, we look to them, and then the second and third tier, we look to law enforcement, police officers, and unfortunately, the people that are on the ground saving lives and impacting lives, teachers, doctors, and nurses, uh, those, those persons are rarely considered to be superheroes. Only on the personal yeah. level, when they save somebody's life, they're considered that. But our cultural heroes uh, in all of our major urban metropolis are our quarterbacks and our point guards and our centers. And kids mm. identify that. Parents identify that they're all starstruck by these people and not by the doctors who keep them healthy and the nurses who help them recuperate. Those people, nobody knows who they are. Nobody knows who these uh, these surgeons who are performing knee and ankle and shoulder surgery, uh, those people are oftentimes anonymous. So, yeah. But if, I, yeah. if I could circle back to the concussion flow. So, sure. That's a rather ambiguous kind of, kind of statement. What, what would make somebody now numerically fit into the category of concussion flow, right? So I, I see the whole, perhaps the whole rhetoric uh, the idea of sort of narrative persuasion lending itself to an opportunity to hang on to a person like the tour uh, and say, rest, my brother, next year you will return. Don't retire. Let's, let's, not, mm-hmm. let's not sweep you away right now because you are still a, a strong possibility and potential. And there was talks in South Florida about uh, the Dolphins going if he was healthy. Right. There, there were real, real talks about him and his um, his left-handed abilities, uh, and, and people thought many people thought that he was a, a, a real quality quarterback that could potentially push through the playoffs. Right. So, um, you know, you don't want to uh, let a person like that go, especially if you have a wonderful contract that is relative to other quarterbacks would be somewhat meager, right? He's getting paid well, but he's not getting uh, undisclosed amounts of money as Patrick Mahomes and some of these other uh, superstar quarterbacks are making. So uh, they have him at a great price, and I don't don't think they would want to let him go just yet, just yet. So those are all factors with the the idea that he may not be concussion-prone. And uh, you know, in, in stepping back and taking a look at two concussions within the, within the span of five days, and a mm-hmm. third concussion that we can see, we can see where like mm-hmm. that fits in the category of possible concussion. Uh, it doesn't look well. Doesn't look well in terms of perhaps his long-term ability uh, to be able to sustain that position starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not just about the performance. It's mm-hmm. about can you remember? Can you remember the play that you called ten seconds ago? <laughs> right, right. You, you get to your position, and you you forget now because you're clouded and you're unable to perform despite looking the part. Right. Yeah. I mean, it has the athletic ability, the muscles, all, but uh, your mind is not clear. And now it becomes a problem of, you know, cognitive retention in terms of your ability to recall what you did 
30 seconds ago. So uh, a, a, sto- a story, having grown up in South Florida, I remember uh, Dan the man, Dan Marino, mm-hmm. had a, suffered a concussion in a game and had thrown the winning touchdown pass. And they were talking with him probably a minute or two after, and he was sort of dazed. He had forgotten or did not remember that he had thrown this touchdown pass. Just two wow. minutes to win, to win the game, yeah. Dan the man, one, one of my favorites, one of my favorites. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, and, and that was uh, – he was still in the game, still playing, playing on uh, what many of the athletes call in the middle of, of play – Raw instincts, like playing on those those uh, you know practical practical uh, instincts that they use uh, when they're training. Uh, he was successful and, and couldn't even remember, could not recall, right? Which is very mm-hmm. sad, very very sad. Yeah. So, uh, not sure what to say uh, about Tua mm-hmm. and those in Tua's kind of position that are again because of their great potential. Uh, are being pushed forward to take a nap, to take some rest, and come on back, right? That could be significantly detrimental to their long-term health beyond the context of playing in the NFL. Yeah. So on one hand, you have the situation with uh, Tua, and like I said, there are probably other athletes that, uh, you know, have had their their challenges like that where, you know, it's like, okay, take a minute, and then we're going to throw you back in. Take take a minute and we'll throw you back in. Oh, we can't throw you back in anymore. So, you know, just, just hang out here for a minute. You know, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm, you know, it, it, embellishing, but still, it, but then you yeah. have DeMar Hamlin where they were kind of Johnny on the spot with uh-huh. getting him taken care of, you know, um, although they can't help themselves. There's already talk about his professional career. I mean, this is, <laughs> the heart this is a heart muscle needs time to heal uh but but still they did seem to be a little bit more proactive in terms of having the personnel available um you know getting him to the hospital and 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 other things even you know team team members trying to you know make sure that uh it there wasn't a lot of uh, people uh i guess a lot of the stress of people watching because they were you know sheltering him um, yeah. In that area, you know, so that you know, it was comfort to the family. Anyway, he probably was not aware. Um, so you have situations like that. What were the the, in your opinion, the the pros and cons to how that particular situation was handled? Well, uh, it was uh, on the field. It was handled as best as it could have been handled. Given that it was in the limelight, like it was sort of live televised game, I think mm-hmm. uh, what the players did and what the coaches did to surround and provide a sense of privacy mm-hmm. was brilliant. That was brilliant. I I don't know if the players themselves came up with that or that was a strategy of perhaps personnel that was like, listen, we need to cover this up. It was almost as if we need to all of this being exposed here. If he is not moving and it looks like there's death in his eyes and in his face, mm-hmm. we need to keep that under wraps because he did suffer cardiac arrest, and, and we know that he did suffer that a few days later also in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So 
all of that uh, brilliant in the sense that they were able to cover that with their bodies. Right? Um, mm-hmm. Now, how it very respectful. Out, yeah. Yes, yeah, very respectful, but also very practical. Uh, can, can you imagine? Can you imagine, G, if a player died on national TV in front of mm-hmm. the world? What mm-hmm. that would do to the NFL? How, how can you deny the violence that you see occurring yeah. and now you add to the conversation of concussion, cardiac arrest? <laughs> I mean, here we are. At that point, we're going and moving through the body and demonstrating that the body, apart from the, the peripheral limbs, are all now potentially hazardous for brutal contact. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, your head and your heart. I mean, what's next? Your lungs, perhaps a hit to your liver, your kidneys. Mm-hmm. Perhaps That's those, true. Those don't, have, right, those don't have the same impact. Um, mm-hmm. But when yeah. you're in cardiac arrest, uh, there's no slip disc that can be discovered later as you're walking and you stumble. There's no – when you're concussed and you're out of it like Tua was, and they constantly showed his fingers had seized. Right? His fingers had seized on the spot. Uh, you know, that's undeniable um, sort of response to inability uh, to have any sort of control, right? You're frozen. And so when when uh, DeMar fell, they covered him uh, in a very wise way, right? So very gracious. We, we read the narrative as gracious and caring and of comforting and taking care of one's uh, fellow teammate and, and, of course, all of the personnel around them. Well, we also know there's significant political interests that were involved in covering, i.e., perhaps covering up uh, the significance of that kind of injury. So not, not to mention, G, I, I know you may have heard it. There's all kinds of conspiracy theories that are out there that uh, Mr. Hamlin has passed, <laughs> right? Uh, and the person that is now um, taking has taken over his body is making proclamations that they're alive and well, but there's all of these sort of undercurrents that what? Uh, no, I have not heard you, this one. Oh my gosh! Yeah, no, yeah, haven't heard it. Yeah, yeah not surprised. <laughs> yeah, there's some wild conspiracy theorists that say that he has passed. He, mm. he has passed, and uh, what we see now is a band-aid that appears very much uh, to be him and to represent him. And, of course, as the conspiracy theory goes deeper, they say there's much more political economic interest at stake at this point for it to be mandated enough to get through the season and to get through all of these things before having to deal with something of that magnitude. But, but again, uh, not that I entertain a lot of conspiracy theories, but sometimes – uh, certain reasoning and under, certain understandings lend themselves to a kind of way of thinking about uh, holes in certain stories that, of course, uh, do not match up, do not make sense. So, uh, and they're also talking about uh, DeMar coming back. And I said, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know. That That's pretty, that's pretty serious. And, and again, yeah. you, don't, you don't need another blow to the chest. You simply no. need to run out of power in, in yeah. a sprint, in a practice sprint, because mm-hmm. 
your, your heart has already been from what we see it already has been compromised under under duress. So mm-hmm. it may not take a big accident. And yeah. uh, the other point is who would be surprised? <laughs> yeah. That's true. And the and the ugly uh suppose the ugly racial point uh to interject is that he is replaceable. But yeah. but before before he's replaceable yeah, before he's replaceable, I think there's political interest to make sure that he looks well and that he appears to have walked away from the game mm-hmm. himself and not yeah. perhaps been shut out. So there's, there's, there's a certain kind of narrative that if you're not going to play and you've received support and love from fans, you've received economic support to deal with, of, of course, the magnitude of the injury, but you must present yourself as the, how do you say, as the good laborer that uh, now perhaps sees themselves coming to the end of their career and decides to retire with grace, that's a much better narrative than perhaps uh, another narrative that says, uh, yeah. you know, you're out, you, you, you have a mark on you, uh, you suffered a serious injury, and so uh, we're not going to, uh, you know, give you another contract. And so uh, why might other teams give you a contract if they say the people that know you best and your health conditions, if they're not going to renew your contract, why would we take a chance on you when, of course, we have a new crop coming out of uh, college? And so it, it trades and all these other things. So um, he may suffer that fate. So, yeah. We're, we're going to take a quick break. We are here with Dr. Kenneth Sean Chaplin uh, talking a little about uh, African-American athletes in uh, sports, uh, taking a look, especially with the Super Bowl coming up on the Sunday. Um, I, I, I have a question, and you probably have already analyzed this, but when we come back, I want to ask you about, um, let's say the, how should I put this, the athletic industry and the slave trade. So we're going to talk about that when we come back. If you have questions, the number is 516-387-1944. G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We'll be right back. Having a wedding, reception, family reunion, planning a banquet, or some other fundraising event. Need to share your knowledge through a workshop or seminar, or it's a difficult time and you need to plan a wake or repast. Let us help. At our gatherings, let us reduce the stress and make the occasion memorable, treasured. Call our gatherings at 407-968-9387 or email ourgatherings at yahoo.com. Let us help plan your special event. Over the past 60 years, Dove Beauty Bar's superior formula has remained unchanged. But when it comes to beauty, everything changed. Together, we redefined beauty. We said no to stereotypes and yes to every type. We let go of judgments and embraced what makes us unique. We're proud to have been there with you, caring for you every step of the way. Here's to the next 60 years. 
Good afternoon and welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. We are talking about um, African-American athletes in sports, um, specifically, more specifically, we've been talking about NFL. I'm here with Dr. Kenneth Sean Taplin. And the number, if you have questions, is 516-387-1944. So, uh, as I'm, you know, when I first started following football, just a football fan, watching it with my dad. I'm a I was the only kid, so I'm I'm the boy and the girl, I guess, uh, in this case. <laughs> but watching it with my dad, watching baseball and stuff like that, and it, you know, it's just fun. Period. But as I've gotten mm-hmm. older and and looking into not just the game itself, but just the, what goes on behind the scenes, and I think one of the things that struck me is that there is there's a movie that. I like, but it kind of triggered this question in me, and that's uh, Draft Day with Kevin Costner. And you have all of these people in these positions of power manipulating the lives of mostly African-American athletes. You know, and it just kind of put me in mind of the slave trade. Is there any, you know, anything synonymous with the two? Well, there's there's lots of overlap, lots of overlap. Um, there are other there are books that have support this idea. Uh, and these books are not new; these books are old. You have uh, uh, William Roden's actual title of the text is Forty Million Dollar Slaves," which uh, came about because uh, one of the fans yelled to a basketball player, "You're nothing but a forty million dollar slave," right? Which became the title mm-hmm. of, of the work, and so. You have uh, uh, Billy Hawkins uh, out in Houston, Texas, who also did a work about the uh, the plantation kind of uh, athlete. Right? And so uh, to get to the point of it being compared exactly to slavery might be problematic because there is some opportunity for these players to resist the appeal of these sort of professional sports. Now, once you are on a team and you have signed a contract, whether it's 40, 30, 10, 1 million dollars, do the conditions of your labor now become much more similar to that of somebody who is restricted to a plantation or something like that. And so we know that athletes who speak out are a problem for their organization. We know that athletes like slaves, once they get old, they're discarded. <laughs> we we know that the uh, the NFL draft, before it actually happens, players go to a combine. A combine is where they run and they do all kinds of athletic feats that looks and sounds similar to how uh, – Persons were placed on an auction block, and they were told to stand there, to turn around. Of course, uh, people looked in their mouth to take a look at their teeth, right, to Mm -hmm. see if they had good dental hygiene. And so you don't have it in that particular kind of way, but you do have all of these skills tests, uh, running, jumping, uh, again, skills of dexterity that lend itself now to some sort of the performance of some sort of animal. It, 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 could appear, it could appear that way, right? Just 
uh, run, jump, let's take a look at you. And, of course, we want you in, in very tight clothing so we can actually see and appreciate uh, the body. And, again, mm-hmm. this, is not just, this is not just about black athletes. White athletes undergo this sort of, uh, again, this sort of, how do you say, this ritual uh, mm-hmm. in, order to be, in order to be selected. But it's the disproportionate amount of African Americans and the way in which it looks so raw in the sense that uh, we're not interested in uh, perhaps your cognitive abilities or ability to think in a new way, to sort of revolutionize the sport, thinking about different kinds of plays to uh, perhaps propel the ball forward. We're looking at you for your function, how you can contribute. Uh, We're looking at you for a certain kind of mindset that mm-hmm. at its base level is about productivity first and bodily sacrifice first. All other things, your children, perhaps if you're married, those are second to your commitment to football. Right? And so all, all of that uh, lends itself to an all-in kind of approach that, again, becomes solidified based upon Again, the signing of a contract, meaning the signing over of oneself into that position within the organization, which looks very much like some sort of labor for servitude. So, mm-hmm. and, and again, players who may not be coming for much uh, are willing to do whatever they have to do uh, to now have uh, resources, right? And we you know those resources uh, put them from perhaps uh, eating ramen noodles and mac and cheese one day to now uh, buying a uh, Bentley, right? And so, and, and again, there's there's some significant financial mismanagement uh, that they are not really uh, ready for uh, in terms of understanding sort of tax system, tax code, and they buy perhaps they they, they, buy, they buy a home, understanding property taxes, understanding HOA. As I said, if, if you're not coming from that background where these are part of the maintenance of that lifestyle, you cannot now merely possess all of these luxuries in life out thinking about the maintenance of these luxuries. Okay? So all, all of that uh, they are not, might not be necessarily ready for, but, but it, it does look very much that once you enter into this sort of contract, uh, mm-hmm. white or black, white or black, uh, uh, yeah. disproportionately black, it looks mm-hmm. like there's significant ownership over your, uh, over your, over your personhood. So, uh, t- some simple examples are if you're out and about, as many athletes are when they're not playing, so they like to sort of relax. They go out as many other young adults do, and they may drink. They, they may end up in some sort of uh, confrontation. Or they may jump in the car, perhaps, and they may be have drunk a little bit too much. All of these infractions in their contract have penalties. So it's not just when you walk on that field to play and when you walk off that field to play. It is now the totality of your being that you have signed away. You signed away your labor, but you have signed away. A, you are an extension of a professional organization, and if that organization 
has a sort of mark on it because of you, you can now be dismissed. So imagine mm. uh, you, you get a DUI. Imagine you get in a, a bar fight. Uh, in other professions, it would not be connected. It might not be connected unless you're in high-level management and it's caught on camera in today's modern social media. But when it makes its way to uh, to a, a televised audience, your employment is now jeopardized. Right? So, again, all of these extensions with regards to okay, you, you forfeiting uh, a certain kind of freedom that is disproportionate to the freedom and opportunities of other people that are employed in other sectors in society. Right? So, so, so the analogy makes sense. It makes sense in many ways, particularly the ownership of one's personhood beyond, uh, beyond the white line. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take our final quick break, but I wanted there's a I was just doing some exploring uh, on uh, online today, and I've just come across this uh, Forbes uh, article, Forbes.com article that asked the question: Does two black quarterbacks playing in the Super Bowl indicate improved equity within the NFL? So I'm going to pose that question to you when we get back. If you have questions or comments, the number is 516-387-1944. here with Dr. Kenneth Sean Chaplin. This is G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment, and we will be right back. This is Douglas Dobbs of Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service. We have served the Central Florida community for 29 years with quality funeral and cremation services. Honoring all religions and faiths, we have been here for many grieving families. Whether it's a complete funeral service with a burial or a simple dignified cremation, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service is here for you. Located at 430 North Kirkman Road at the 408 Expressway, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service, 407-578-7720. Dobbs dedicated to serving our families. Hi, I'm Tim Garrison. Uh, You may know me as Timmy G. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's been two decades, but I want you to know I'm back in the Arkansas. And I've got a mix of music that can help you relax and chill out. It's smooth. It's relaxing. It's chill out jazz. The soulful mix of smooth jazz, soul, and smooth R&B. So join me every Wednesday night, 10 p.m. to midnight, on K-Ham Radio. Good afternoon. Welcome back to G's Power Hour. I never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. Um, Just a couple of notes. One, um, if you missed yesterday's show, um, I had Jabber from the Syrian American Council on to talk about ways that if anyone wants over in Turkey and Syria, uh, I posted a link that he shared with me on the G's Power Hour Facebook page. I will be sharing more of that tomorrow. If you have property, land, property, whatever, that uh, you can, can donate or you want to sell and make it count, we're going to have someone on tomorrow to talk about that, so make sure you join us then. Super Bowls this weekend, I've washed my shirt, um, I've got my snacks, I'm just about ready. Uh, but there are other questions, and one that was posed uh, from Forbes magazine, uh, for, well, Forbes.com, does two black quarterbacks playing in the Super Bowl indicate improved equity within the NFL? And so I'm going to pose that question to our guests. 
Dr. Kenneth Sean Chaplin. And if you, like I said, if you have questions or comments, the number is 516-387-1944. So, Dr. Sean. Yeah. Uh, so, wonderful question. Uh, we see this question all the time when there's a first black in anything, right? Uh, have, mm-hmm. the, the, the idea resonates from the sort of context of the narrative that we are a post-racial something, right? So same kind of thing can be said when uh, former President Barack Obama was able to achieve the presidency. All kinds of declarations on that day about or we're moving to a post-racial society. Look, racism no longer impacts the way in which we think about people, particularly at the highest office. You know, if we have a black president, we don't have to worry about race anymore. Anybody can do it. Uh, it's all about bootstrap approaches to, uh, you know, uh, seizing opportunity. Same kind of thing now being applied to uh, the narrative that proposes, the narrative of, of racial progress that proposes that uh, uh, Jalen and Patrick represent, uh, you know, uh, racial opportunities in and beyond uh, the NFL. And so, um we know that it's not too long ago that they were excluded from such positions. And mm-hmm. we know now that their stellar play, not just their normal, their stellar play has propelled them to starting positions as well as positions now where they're facing one another in, uh, in the Super Bowl. But they still make up a fraction of the NFL quarterbacks. <laughs> so so uh, if you have – Two out of perhaps uh, 32 teams, and let's say you have 10 NFL quarterbacks. We'll say that's a third of uh, a third of the quarterbacks that represent those teams, portionally represented at that position. Right, 32 teams. Let's say you have 10. Lamar, you got the Demar Jackson, who plays on the same. Uh, you know, uh, you have a, a Teddy that plays down there in South Florida. So if I were to spread out these black quarterbacks across teams and not even stack them behind other black quarterbacks, again, we're seeing uh, that, that it looks very disproportionate. Right? So we have other black quarterbacks, Justin Fields, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, Bar Jackson, Trey Lance, uh, Kyler Murray, uh, Malik Willis. It's good to see black quarterbacks, but it's also – really good to see blacks in leadership positions to begin with. But to say now that you have a Barack Obama that is president and we are free from all racial tensions and that now there's equity because of perhaps one visible purpose is to really do a disservice to, again, all of the sort of racial backlash that did come with, again, former President Barack Obama leaving and uh, President Trump being elected, right? So there is this undercurrent uh, that exists very much with regards to what appears to be advancement on the surface might actually result in, uh, again, perhaps even greater racial awareness and racial division with regards to people now having an opportunity to become quarterback. Right? So, um, then again, what is also interesting is that we have two 
that are in the Super Bowl, but it wasn't, you know, black quarterbacks that have competed in the Super Bowl go as far back as to Doug Williams, who I think was the first, way, way back. And so we've had and we've seen black quarterbacks before, but this whole emphasis that, uh, you know, out of this sort of a Super Bowl, we're going to have to admit in the narrative that one black quarterback now has led their team to success. So it becomes this narrative of un- inability to deny a black quarterback for being a Super Bowl champion. And, and it is with that whole approach that you say, look, uh, you have a Super Bowl champion. Look, he's a black quarterback. We, we don't have to, you know, we don't have to worry about all of this because, look, you know, look, he's a Super Bowl champion. It's not that he just made it. He won. I said, you have two black quarterbacks going head-to-head. One of them is going to win. But it's the narrative, again, of racial equity that can be dangerous, particularly yeah. for that position because now you have perhaps many young men thinking that they can lead their teams in that way, in that position, and, and we know disproportionately that position has not always been open. As a matter of fact, that position might now be closing some doors if, again, perhaps people see the proliferation of too many black quarterbacks, right? And, and again, here's the other the other sort of difficulty with uh, just believing that, again, we're moving towards racial equity and greater opportunities that are free from sort of racial constraints and racial racialized histories is that these quarterbacks that have now advanced to the limelight in positions of leadership, is their full trust, is their full organizational trust in these particular players? Uh, we know the position itself is vulnerable and leads itself, lends itself to a lot of trades, uh, uh, again, injuries. So how much of that now becomes, uh, becomes a very important aspect of recruiting a particular type of black quarterback? So mm-hmm. Is there perhaps disproportionate racial scrutiny with regards to their off the field activities. Are we recruiting any sort of black quarterback who can get the job done on the field, or do we want a certain kind of black quarterback who is married and has a couple of kids, who also is very much committed to the local church? Are we now looking for a particular like particular type of black athlete that can represent, as we know, athletes in that position must represent themselves their organization to their broader community. So, uh, and we know that some black quarterbacks have been let go uh, because mm-hmm. of inappropriate infractions. As a matter of fact, at the same point, uh, you may have a quarterback that was let go in Houston, Texas, that the Cleveland Browns decided to take a big chance on and paid him a large sum of money, $200 plus million dollars. Uh, to take a chance on this quarterback, again, because of his uh, athletic abilities, his ability uh, to, to lead a team, but at great risk. And so what kind of what, – what are we saying now about uh, the black quarterback besides that they're a black quarterback? <laughs> right? what, what, what other things are being attached to the black quarterback that can either promote and advance them or retard 
their ability to be uh, again a, the best representation. And so there are there is a difference between um, uh, black quarterbacks, and mm-hmm. they have in fact they have in fact crowned in many ways in sort of uh, common circles the most representable and the most uh, palatably presentable quarterback to an overwhelming white audience would be the Russell Wilson kind of quarterback, both in his demeanor on and off the field. So, again, you have have a certain kind of quarterback now that becomes Mm -hmm. the brand black quarterback as opposed to some other quarterbacks that have faced a significant sort of uh, scrutiny. So yes, uh, I don't think the, uh, the the equity and the post-racial sensation of not having race be a significant factor in that position, uh, mm-hmm. we'll just have to wait and see how that plays out. I guess so. So we've got a few minutes left. I want to ask you um, the we've we've talked we've only talked about just a, a few issues. Um, what, in, in your perspective, what agendas should be front and center with regards to African American athletes, both um, not just in an NFL in, in all sports, and both male and female? Because we talk a lot about the men, we don't talk about the women that much. So, uh, mm-hmm. what what issues should be front and center with regards to? Um, finding uh, resolutions or, or, you know, calling attention to uh, the plight of African-American athletes? Well, uh, <clears throat> there, there are many uh, African-American athletes who know and are consciously aware that uh, they're seen and held up as a prized possession because of their opportunity to play at the highest level. Right, so they they know that uh, they step in certain spheres. People know who they are, and they're treated oftentimes with disproportionate grace and respect. But that still does not mean that these athletes are not aware uh, of race and how race has impacted the way in which they understand themselves in and beyond the context of their sport. So there, there are many athletes that feel a certain way. And it behind closed doors have uh, racial justice ideas. But when those ideas now conflict with their economic interests, that's uh, always been a sort of a, a big contention, right? At what point are athletes going to now sacrifice themselves and sacrifice again? their economic opportunities, as well as all of the family that is counting on them uh, for some sort of support. Um, At what point are they going to make a decision to stand and risk all of that when, again, uh, they have all of this, uh, the weight of this responsibility? So um, I I think uh, African-American athletes have definitely – push the boundaries simply with their presence. I think we saw how vulnerable many were in the United States, particularly diehard, without question or criticism, uh, U.S. citizens were with their sort of uh, banal nationalism, without 
even understanding what Colin Kaepernick uh, had said. And so had turned the narrative around and said that it was about, what about all those soldiers and those people in the military that died for this country? He said, I, I, never, I never said, this is not a disrespect. This is to say that the freedoms and opportunities that you say you profess, we do not experience those in the criminal justice system. Those things that you take for granted in everyday life with regards to safety and security, we constantly, many of us, think that when we get pulled over, this could go the wrong way. And, and, and he's bringing attention, drawing attention to that. <coughs> and again, the narrative was turned around in such a way that they were able to dismiss racial tension and racial hostility between uh, law enforcement and uh, uh, black males. Again, we, we saw something that just happened again with Tyree Nichols, which again is something yep. we can get into because we have uh, agents, agents of a racist institution now acting in that way regardless of their own skin color, right? Which, yeah. was a, which is a complex argument, but if you take away their skin color and you place them in the position of blue in which they saw themselves as men in blue, Mm-hmm. They act in a similar way, and they have internalized a way to treat people both consciously and unconsciously in a disproportionate kind of way. I cannot imagine that that would have happened to a white person. I, I, yeah. I, I just cannot imagine, but somehow no. uh, it, it appears uh, in their eyes as necessary to have uh, control over the situation. And we, you had mm-hmm. you had ultimate control, right? right? Uh, ultimate mm-hmm. control, which led later on. But but it's these kind of issues that again, have we heard any? Uh, have we heard any players step up for that recently? I, I can't say I have. But what we yeah. can say is, what we can say is, the presence of cameras now perhaps may have allowed players before who stood up for this injustice to now be able to negotiate their stance because it's caught on camera, right? Of course, the appeal would be like, you all have seen it. The black community has seen it. The white community has seen it. We should all be enraged. Why should I have to now sacrifice my success and all of my family support and, and, and why now Am I disproportionately supposed to take that leadership role when we all have seen it on tape? Yeah. Right? So, Dr. Sean, we are out of time. Just real quick, who are you pulling for this weekend? Uh, I think I'm going to have to go with Jalen, Jalen and his team. They've, they've done well. All right, they, all right. Well. I have to go with Philly. We're going to have to have you back on, too, but thank you so much for taking the time out today. Really appreciate it. Take care of yourself. Thank you so much, Jake. Glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. This has been G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. Be well, be safe, be blessed. God willing to talk to you tomorrow. And please remember, all real power comes from God. Take care. Amen.